0: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Lord, you have said that to truly love you that I must also love my neighbor, which can be difficult. Yet in overcoming these difficulties, it's possible to see the miracle that you love someone like me. Teach us to love, Lord, as you have loved us that this world might be a better neighborhood. May we look at others as if through your eyes, less judging, more loving, and seeing them, like us, as not perfect or finished, but as work in progress that will be completed in due time by your hands. Bless the paths that we cross today. Bless the givers, eyes open for those in need of prayer, encouragement, support, a little time, or the gift of love. In the act of giving and receiving, may both be blessed. Amen. I imagine that a lot of you have books or movies or things that you know by heart. Especially if you are a parent or a significant person in a small one's life, I know that I could have recited Goodnight Moon without the book, right? Because I read it so many times. Also I could recite the entire script to Sillyville We Sing and The Land Before Time, I'm pretty sure. Because, again, I saw them so many times when my kids were small. And growing up, just just last night, as all the family was gathered in our living room to start celebrating my birthday weekend, I said that the first thing I wanted to do was watch The Princess Bride. Now, there is not a person out of the seven people in that room who could not have told you what the next line of the movie is at any point if we stopped it. So we all know that there are things we know really well. I know if I'm sick, my go-to is a six-hour-long BBC Pride and Prejudice, and I don't have to pay attention to it all the time, every second, because I know what's going on, and I can zone out for five, ten minutes, twenty minutes, and I still know what's going on. And believe it or not, I know you just won't believe this, but the same thing is true of the Lord of the Rings movies. I kinda know what's going on. I've seen them a few times. I know we all have stories that we know so well that we start to kind of gloss over them, right? We half-read, we half-listen, because we say to ourselves, "Ah, eh, I know this one. I know how it ends, I know how it goes, I really don't have to pay attention. Well, today we're talking about a very familiar story. It's a story that even people who don't read the Bible, who don't believe in the Bible, know. And they know the phrase that goes along with it. My husband works at Good Samaritan Hospital because we know this story. It's gone out into our culture. So we could half listen to it. We could say, hey, I know this one. I'm good. I know how it ends. But how do we recognize the ideas in it that are applicable to right now? And what do we need to discover that we could bring into today? And do we know it as well as we think that we do? Because, you know, you and I are not likely to come upon a person beaten and lying by the side of the road. And if we do, we all have cell phones and we just call 911. It could easily not touch us, this story. But that's both a mistake and kind of the point. So what does being a neighbor mean in 2022 in the United States of America? Luke 10, verses 25 through 36. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Go and do likewise. Let's look at this story like it's a play. So who are the characters in this play? Well, we have the person who is beaten and laying on the side of the road. There's no information given about this person. We don't know, he's just a traveler. And I think Jesus intentionally leaves him quite anonymous, a blank slate, because that way he can be anyone's or no one's neighbor, and we have a choice. There's the priest, the person who is entrusted with bringing God and people together, with bridging that gap between God and people. And we have a Levite, a person who is set apart, who is holy for God's service. The family of the Levites produced the priest. All the priests came from that family. But the rest of the Levite's men who were not priests still served. They still served the priests. They still served the people in God's service. We have the Samaritan. Samaritan would have been considered little better than the thief and the robber who left the man by the side of the road. He was a heretic. He was a half between Jewish and Assyrian. And they just considered that worse than anything they could think of. They would cross the, the audience. Jesus audience would cross the road to avoid him, too. They wouldn't want contact with the Samaritan. And the innkeeper, well, he's just doing his job. He's there. The Samaritan or the, the Samaritan seems to know him. I mean, he trusts him with his money. And he trusts that the guy's gonna use the money for the sick man and not just, you know, go off to Vegas with it. And we have the expert in the law. We have a he is this expert in the law is the person who knows the answers to all the questions like it's his job. Elsewhere he might be called a scribe or a lawyer. An expert in the law, they were the people, the scribes were the people who wrote down the law in the exile period and who kept it alive for the people who were in exile. And then they began to teach it. And they were also the ones who would decide in a in a courtroom, not, not a Roman courtroom, but a room that would determine Jewish law, um, whether a person was guilty of transgressing the law. So To say he was an expert in the law was was to say, yeah, he's an expert. He knows it inside and out. And then there's Jesus, of course. And what is the setting of this play, of this story? Well, the road that Jesus speaks of is a well-known, dangerous piece of road. It's known for its caves and rugged terrain where robbers did hide. And they did come out. And beat people and rob them. So why does Jesus choose this setting? Well, I mean, he could have chosen any road he wanted to. Anything. But he chooses this one. He chooses it because it's well-known. So they'd understand it. And they would know the fears attached to it. But also, I think Jesus chooses it because the expert in the law seems to be trying to limit his liability. Jesus, whom do I have to actually care about? How can I limit, how can I narrow down this concept of who my neighbor is so I can decide who I have to care about? And the first way to do that is to figure out some way the person in question doesn't deserve my help. And don't we do that? It's not uncommon. Jesus gives away, right away, he gives an excuse for why this guy on the road might not deserve help. It's the same excuse a lot of people are adept at using when they want to say the same. He's giving them an out. And what's the potential reason Jesus gives away with setting the story on this dangerous road? What can people say? Well, what was he doing there in the first place? Why was he in that part of town? Why was he there at that part of the time of day? Why didn't he protect himself? He knew the danger and he still did it. So he doesn't deserve my help. It's his fault. Why should I help him? What was she wearing? Why was she there? Why didn't she come forward by before now? What were they doing out at 4.30 in the morning? What did he do to provoke it? Why didn't he just obey? Why don't they come legally? Don't we recognize this play? Let's give a reason for people to not have to help their neighbor. And that reason is, well, they deserve what happened to them. Blame the victim. And Jesus opens it up to allow him to do that or not. The observers would have pulled all this out too. They would have understand that. And with us not knowing what that road symbolizes, we need to know because it's very important and we don't want to miss it. Jesus is inviting them to blame the victim. He's setting it up so the man the expert in the law, and the audience can blame the guy who got beaten and then excuse themselves from having to beat the neighbor. He's letting him limit his liability if he chooses. If we make the victim not a victim, we're not responsible for doing justice or showing mercy. We can limit who is our neighbor. And we decide which persons don't deserve to be our neighbor. And that's the invitation Jesus is giving. Don't miss it. So what are the motives, and what's the conflict in this story? Well, the expert's motive in asking the original question, it says in the text, he wants to trap Jesus. We're not sure why or how, but a lot of experts did want to trap Jesus. And if they could get him to give a wrong answer, maybe they could make look Jesus look foolish, or even like a ter- heretic. And in this culture, public questions were often an honor contest a way for a person to regain any lost honor in public. And the leaders, the teachers, had lost a lot of honor to Jesus because he's really, really good at one-upping them and making them look a little foolish. And so they come to try to trap him often. They come in these honor contests in public to ask him questions, hoping they can regain some of that. It doesn't generally work because Jesus generally wins, but they keep trying. And then what's the expert's motive in asking who his neighbor is? Well, it says he wants to justify himself. Other translations say he wants to look good in front of others, he wants to show himself righteous. But how in the world is this question going to do that? Well, by his goal to limit the answer Who is my neighbor? There was a Jewish book of wisdom at the time that said that people really ought not to help sinners. They weren't their neighbors. So they only had to love the people in their group that could choose who deserved their neighborliness. And a guy who gets left for dead probably had it coming. Again, the cultural assumptions of the day, bad things happen to bad people. So this expert in the law who is arguably the highest group of knowledgeable people following the law could limit his scope pretty small. I mean, practically anyone else was a sinner. He didn't have to help. And then if he can prove that in front of the crowd, he can boast about how good he is at it. Maybe he hopes that his neighbor is his family or his church. Or maybe he cares for his elderly mother and he gives a lot to the synagogue and he provides for his family and he's hoping he can trot out these credentials to let everyone know, I deserve eternal life. I am a good person, by limiting the scope of who deserves his help as a neighbor. That too sounds a little familiar sometimes. But here's the thing, people. The text tells us he is an expert in the law. An expert. He knows what the law is. He knows who his neighbor is. He's got this. He's aware. He doesn't have to answer ask this question. Who is his neighbor? the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner. You know how many dozens and dozens of times we are told that in the Law and the Prophets? The widow, the orphan, the poor, the foreigner. He knows that one of the first declarations of God is that we are to be our siblings' caretakers, right there in Genesis. He knows who his neighbor is, but his expertise is all in his head and not in his heart. He's all about defining his neighbor by who deserves his help. And Jesus even gives him an opening for that to see how he's, what he's going to do. But then in this conflict, Jesus is going to turn around and he's going to trap the trapper, the guy who's trying to trap him. He says, what must I do for eternal life? And Jesus answers, or Jesus asks a question in return because he does that. He doesn't usually answer a question. He just asks more questions. But his question is an invitation to rethink these honor contests and to rethink what is a good answer versus what is a right answer. Because you can get the answer right, but it cannot be a good answer. And the response to Jesus' question, well, what do you read, rolls out easily. The expert in the law recites the Shema because he knows it. It's like the first thing you learn in a Jewish household as soon as you can speak. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the Leviticus edition, written down in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus quotes, of course, we know both of those things and calls them the entirety of the law and the prophets. The man knows this. It wasn't new. They all know this, especially an expert in the law, to whom this is really elementary school stuff. And Jesus pretends to let him off the hook. Good answer. You're right. Now go do it. But the man hasn't met his goal. His goal is to look good in front of everyone listening. And his goal is to trap Jesus. And he hasn't done that. So he continues. But who is my neighbor? Let's narrow this down, and by asking the question, he shows that he doesn't know what it means to love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, heart, and mind, because if he did, he would not ask, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells this familiar story. He sets it up in a sight that they would know. In a road whose fear they would recognize, he casts the good guys as the bad guys, but that might not have totally surprised the common people. What do the priest and the Levite do on the road? Nothing. Worse than nothing. They look away. And what does this despised Samaritan do? He's the one who helps. And that would have been a surprise to the audience. That would have been a scandal to the audience that he is cast as the hero of the story, this horrible person that they despise just because of his racial makeup. And there's lots of verbs in this story about what the Samaritan does. It says he took pity he bandaged. He poured things out on him. He put him on his donkey. He brought him somewhere. He took care of him. He gave money. He gave two days' wages to the innkeeper to care for this stranger on the road. He makes sure the person is cared for start to finish. And when Jesus says, Here's, love your neighbor as yourself, and he says, Go do this, this is the do. This is the active love of neighbor the Samaritan is doing and it's not someone they would have thought of as his neighbor he's far from home he's on a journey but he stops he stops in a frightening place where he too could get beaten and robbed and he doesn't seem to mind how much time he's losing and he doesn't seem to mind giving the innkeeper two days wages and then Jesus asks who acted as a neighbor to this man and the expert in the law despises Samaritans so much he can't even say the word he hates them too badly this is a plot twist he did not expect and he cannot wrap his mind around he cannot handle it it's so hard to give credit and humanity to a person he considers unworthy He says, the one who showed mercy. And it barely makes it out of his mouth, I imagine. Because he can't say the Samaritan. Because in his wildest imagination, this guy is not a neighbor. Not a consideration. He does not deserve to be a neighbor. And there it is. There it is. We think we get to choose who deserves to be our neighbor. And there's two things going on here that Jesus wants to correct. You see, all the time his audience is wondering, is the person beaten on the road my neighbor? And they think Jesus is going to answer that question. But he doesn't. He never does. Does he in one place ever in this story answer the question, The expert in the law poses, Who is my neighbor? He doesn't. He never does. Because Jesus does that. And we think we know this story inside and out, and we think that the moral of the story is, Well, everybody is my neighbor, and it's not. Because that's not the question Jesus answers. Do you know what question he answers? Who acted? like the neighbor. Are you the kind of a person who acts like a neighbor? Or are you the kind of person who decides who is and is not your neighbor? Jesus' call is to be a neighbor, not to sit around worrying and dithering about who deserves to be your neighbor and who is your neighbor. Jesus' answer is, you need to go be a neighbor. You need to be the kind of person who is a neighbor, and that changes the way we look at the story. We don't want the answer to the question, "Who is my neighbor?" We need the answer to the question, "Who acts like a neighbor?" and the answer needs to be, "I do and the second thing Jesus wants to correct in the in the teacher, an expert in the law is do you understand what it means?" to love God and your neighbor. What does it mean? It means to act mercifully. And he doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand that you cannot love God and you cannot love your neighbor without mercy. It is impossible. You can have some dry assent to the belief of loving God, but you can't really love God unless you love mercy. Mercy doesn't stand safely on the other side of the road. Mercy does not say a pious prayer. Mercy doesn't avert its eyes and send good thoughts. The people who should have helped are the ones who did not. And they're the same people who would proclaim that they know these laws and they followed them all their lives. And he is shaming them by using a despised person that they think is worthless. And rightfully so, because the expert in the law has failed at his most basic elementary school stuff. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that means mercy. That's the character of God. And if we don't get it, we don't get it. In Hebrew life, love is a verb, it does things. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Not believe this, not agree with this, not think, hey, it's a great idea. Not plan to do it someday. Do this and you will live. And Jesus isn't only talking about eternal life like this guy is. No, he's talking about real life. He's using the same word that he uses in John 10, 10 for abundant life. Really abundantly have Real life worthy of the name of life, active, blessed life now in the kingdom of God and in the world to come. He's talking about a fabulous life now if we learn to love mercy, if we learn to be merciful, if we learn to be a neighbor, if we learn to look at whatever is in front of our eyes. The Samaritan didn't do something spectacular. He saw something in front of his face and he said, I need to do something now about this. I need to have mercy on my neighbor right here that I can see in front of me. And don't we need to go and do likewise? We don't need to save the world, but we need to have mercy on what we see plainly around us. And sometimes, That might mean fixing some systemic problems like, why do people keep getting robbed in this road and what can we do about it? How do we go and do likewise? That's our question today. Let's pray together again. Lord, teach us to be good neighbors to everyone we meet, to see the best in them, to want the best for all of your children. Help us to put aside our preconceptions about other people because that alters our behavior. Help us to simply act like they, like us, are precious in your eyes. We pray for our communities. We pray for those who are struggling. We pray for those that we don't see, those that we are sometimes told are not our neighbors, refugees, prisoners, people without a home. Lord, help us to see our neighbor and everyone whose paths we cross and every human being made in your image. We offer everything we are to you, Lord. We pray that we can be good neighbors to lighten other people's loads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.